Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Brett Rutherford, and we've got two great guests on the podcast tonight. You probably see his words on the D-Raise Bay Twitter feed as well as DRaiseBay.com. And you hear his voice on the hit show, the other show that's part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network, making his Raise Your Voice debut. It's Brett Phillips. Brett, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Yeah, you guys have been doing great work uh, on the uh, greatest raised pa- bra- player bracket or most beloved raised player bracket. I, I know we're inching ever so closely to the finish line there, and that has been um, some amazing content both on Twitter and, and on the podcast feed. So go check that out if you haven't already. And also making his Raise Your Voice debut is Ian Malinowski. Ian, what's up, man? Hey guys, uh, happy happy to be on here. Um, always great day to have a first time. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's a lot of great stuff to talk about, um, not only with the Rays, but around baseball. And I think we're really just going to jump right into it. So we all know why the season didn't start until July this year. I think that's pretty obvious. And there were a lot of question marks, even when the Players Union and Major League Baseball came to an agreement about how to start the season because for most of those negotiations, a lot of the talk was about money. There wasn't a lot of talk about the health and safety protocols surrounding COVID-19 going into the season. And who would have guessed that presented an issue, a very big issue, in the, after, right after the first weekend. So the Miami Marlins have now, as far as I know, and, and my number might be off at this point on the time of recording, had 14 positive tests and a, really a true outbreak in, in the Marlins clubhouse. That's led to their season kind of been put on hold. Um, They're not playing games at all this week, and it's unclear whether or not they'll be playing games next week or for the rest of the season. Now the Philadelphia Phillies, who were playing against the Marlins when this outbreak occurred, their season's also come come to a halt. They're no longer working out. As far as I know, none of their players have tested positive since uh, their series against the Marlins, but I know a couple members of their coaching staff or their baseball operations staff have, and that's kind of thrown a loop into the schedule, which – that's not the, the biggest priority, but, but Brett, I, I think I'll start with you. This, an outbreak of this magnitude, we knew there were going to be positive tests and there was, mm-hmm. you know, starting with the intake testing. What does this mean for the, for the baseball season? Uh, you know, hap- this happening so early. Well, I will say Brett, <laughs> it, we're saying my own name when I'm responding. But, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that uh, I was one of the people who really did not think that we'd be having a season at this point. I thought even as early, or even as late as the beginning of July, I thought there's no way it's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to spread. And so far to an extent, I have sort of been proving wrong um, because as you said, the Marlins seem to be so far the only team that have really tested positive for coronavirus. Now they have tested a lot of the players have tested positive. In fact, I think, the most recent number, this is just a retweet by Ken Rosenthal just even a couple of minutes ago. We now have 17 Marlins players and two coaches who have tested positive for COVID-19. So obviously their, their season, as you said, is, is uh, basically on pause, I think was also the language being used at this point. Um, it, it's, it's interesting too, you know, the way, what might have worked, and, and we're not, you know, we're not in the middle of, of a wide, widespread uh, MLB-wide COVID-19 response right now. But what might have worked best for the MLB would have been probably something closer to a bubble city, which is what they kind of were talking about for Arizona and Florida before Florida's numbers and, frankly, Arizona's numbers began to shoot up of people who were infected with uh, coronavirus. Um, the NBA seems to be making it work uh, at this point, but at the same time, the players voted that down rightfully so, fairly. I, I would totally understand not want being able to see your family for a long time and um you know it's their right to do that a bubble city is just it it can be a a challenge but that at that point probably would have been the best way to limit the exposure to coronavirus because now we're seeing these things we're scheduling an already shortened schedule is possibly going to look very very different even in the next week or two um it's it's very possible in fact i would say at this point likely that the marlins are not going to play all 60 games 
Um, the Phillies aren't going to play any of the games that they're going to be uh, against the Blue Jays right now uh, this weekend. They all they're all those games are now postponed as well. So these are games that even in a shortened time frame, you're going to have to make up somehow. And barring like daily doubleheaders, it's almost impossible to do. So it'll be interesting to see how the MLB handles this. Uh, this is already a weird season. Um, I'm all for you know making it weird as long as everyone is staying safe and healthy as as much as they possibly can. But uh, this definitely is a season that, that will, I don't know, be remembered as a weird sort of blip. Not necessarily an asterisk, but a blip on the history of, of uh, Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I want to talk more about the bubble city. I think that's an interesting concept. You're seeing the NHL do it in two cities in Canada, Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, the NBA is doing it in Orlando. Major League Soccer did it in Orlando. NWSL did it over in Utah out west. Uh, Major League Baseball, the players decided not to. Personally, I don't think a bubble is a great place to go work for a few months. You know, these players are people, they've got families, they've got children, they've got lives. And as like at this point in time with what we're going through, and I think we're all going through it through, to some extent, trying to protect yourself, trying to protect your family, trying to protect the people you care about. So to ask players to, to go to a bubble, you know, if, if a certain amount of players want to, maybe there's a possibility, but I think, I think it's a bit tough. Ian, do you think a bubble would have worked for Major League Baseball? And do you think there's a chance that maybe we see some sort of bubble implemented later in this season or potentially in the postseason? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting question of whether you can – how much can you change the protocols mid, mid-season? Um, I, I, think, I think a bubble would have definitely had a better chance of working, but, but, but like everything that everyone's doing is, is – is, is, is a big a big experiment right now, and like there are people who will who will say that this is definitely not going to work, and and they they don't know that. Um, there's people who would say that the bubble city would work and, and wouldn't have 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 major outbreaks. And before before the the um, before the other leagues have tried it, no one actually knew that would work either. Um, so I, I think that the that the I, the, the interesting question to me is is how quickly can MLB figure out exactly what's failed and how badly it's failed? Um, so, like, like obviously, what we've seen is that with the way that the Marlins were operating in their clubhouse, the protocols were not sufficient to stop an outbreak within the clubhouse. I think it's pretty clear there's a clump there. There was there's interclubhouse spread there. Um, um, so the two days testing, the waiting for the backlog of results, which takes 24 hours, 42 hours, somewhere in there, that was not enough to, to, to stop the outbreak. I, just to put the aside, um, there's also a compliance issue in here that the Marlins started with, I think it's four positive tests and they went and played after that. They didn't sort of shut down there. Um, so, so the, uh, with any protocol, you can't expect universal compliance. You can do, you can you can do things to make the compliance better. Um, and I think that either MLB or the Marlins, depending on where where you're casting the blame, did not do the best job of following the protocols. But we're not expecting universal. Um, so, so the question going forward is. Are other teams doing it better? Can we expect other teams to do it better, especially with this like scare? Um, and that, that's question one. Question two is, do we have inter or on the field spread? Did it jump from the Marlins to the Phillies in some way? And I, I think that with the, with the, um, with the incubation period, um, we can't be confident about that either way for a couple days yet. Um, so, so like sort of, sort of the way I, I see it is we have like, two or three days from now until we really know whether this season is in trouble. If it's if it spread to the Phillies and spread within the Phillies, it's in real big trouble and something has to be changed immediately. If it hasn't, then, then, then the question is, can we make the compliance better? Can we make the protocols work better? And I, I, I don't know those answers. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. Uh, <laughs> if the Phillies were to come out with even a similar outbreak with the Marlins because of their interaction with the Marlins, their games against Miami, personally, I think that would be enough for Major League Baseball at that point to at least pause the season. 
But with a shortened time frame, and we know the time frame that MLB wants to work in for this season, that's really enough to completely derail this, shut this thing down, pack it up, see you in 2021. Uh, and, and we can debate whether or not Major League Baseball should even be playing right now at all. But I don't think any of us, any of us want to see the season shut down, especially with, with how well the, the Rays are playing um, so far. Ian, you mentioned that yeah. after four Marlins players tested positive, they can, went on and played a game that day. And from what I know, I mean, what went into that decision? Who was making that decision? How did that happen? And, and why did no one else step in there? I mean, I, I, I mean, so the Marlins held, held a team meeting, which is comical in its own regard. Like <laughs> we, we have, we have an infectious disease. Let's all get together and talk about it. Um, and, and, and they decided to play and there's sort of like, like a tough guy ethos. And, and like, on the one hand, that's ridiculous. On, on, on the other hand, it's like, I do blame MLB for, for, for leaving it up to someone in the Marlins or the Marlins in general to make that decision. Um, so like I, I work in, in, in the IT cyber, cybersecurity field. Um, if you care about something and, and there are, there are a lot of fields, it feels like this. If you care, if you care about something, you don't make the responsibility for compliance be the same people who are, who are, who are doing the thing. There, there has to be someone else with, um, with, a, with a reporting relationship to, to the very top, independent from the people doing the thing. Um, and if you haven't set up that structure, then you either don't really care or you're kind of foolish. Um, and that's, that's where I, I don't want to blame Don Mattingly and, and, the Mar, and the Marlins so much because they shouldn't be the ones making this type of decision. Right. Yeah, I think it's definitely for, for just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, Ian. Uh, I think one of the reasons why I thought the season wouldn't happen, and I, I still, I would like to see it happen, but only if we can ensure the safety of the players, which at this point seems little, uh, seems a little fuzzy. It's, it's at the very minimum, it's up in the air. Um, it just didn't seem like there was a, a, a system in place to really protect the players when we were beginning. There were sort of nods to, we're going to screen players. We're going to do what we can. If you're sick, you're going to be on the special COVID IL. We're not going to tell anyone that you're sick. But to what's so frustrating about this, this, this virus, and, and, and you come from a background of, of IT, I, I should say I come from a background, I'm a, I'm a medical student. Um, I'm going to medical school in New Orleans. And I've been uh, working periodically in the hospitals, well, I guess working, you're learning as a student in the hospitals in New Orleans. Um, what makes this virus in many ways so scary for something like sports is just how, it, it, almost seems, it almost seems engineered to be like the perfect way to disrupt sports. There's a three to five day incubation period. Not everyone shows symptoms, signs. If the healthier you are, generally speaking, the less likely you're going to show outward signs. But for a few people, and it doesn't matter who they are, because again, if you're a guy like, like Boston Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez, who was hospitalized with, uh, uh, my, with, excuse me, with myocarditis, which is basically a sort of infection of the muscles of your heart, it can be very, very serious and very dangerous if it's not treated properly. It, there's really no rhyme or reason this, at this point that we know of for people who can actually get really severely sick from this. So to, to, like you said, to frame, to put Don Mattingly and the Marlins at fault here kind of ignores this, the lack of a proper and safe system in place on the part of MLB. And I, I think, you know, I think in many ways they are doing the best they can, but it's possible that just because you're doing the best you can doesn't mean that you should be going and having a season in the first place. Yeah, I, th I think it really goes back to throughout the entire summer, everyone would have given Major League Baseball uh, not a pass, but they would have said, okay, if the season, if it's not safe enough to play this season, then so be it. And again, we could still make the argument that it's not safe enough to be playing the season, but they decided that they wanted to return to the field and the negotiations were all about, you know, the money and, and how the players are going to be paid and how much money the owners are going to get to save. All of that with the collective bargaining agreement you know, looming in the background at the end of 2021. And then it seems by the time everyone's reporting to summer camp, there isn't, you know, not foolproof because nothing's foolproof, especially during COVID-19, but a plan to, to make sure the season is done in the safest way possible. Like you said, we knew there were going to be tests. And to be honest, you could probably have predicted that there was going to be, you know, a, at least a minor outbreak in one of these teams when there's no bubble. 
And I go back to saying, you know, I don't think a bubble is necessarily the best idea, but if you don't have a bubble, there's going to be more positive tests. That's just the way things work, yeah. especially in the state of Florida, which has <laughs> in a lot of ways opened back up and, and gone completely back to normal. And I can attest to that living here in Florida and I'm not in one of the worst areas of the state, uh, but the Marlins are, and that might have played a role in them uh, with, with this outbreak and Brett, I mean, if this happens to any other team, whether it be the Phillies or just a completely new outbreak, even with the protocols that Major League Baseball is starting to put in place now after the Marlins, I'm not saying whether or not Major League Baseball should shut down the season, but do you think that would be enough from Major League Baseball's perspective for them to shut things down? I, well, I mean, I, I will say at this point, I feel like I no longer have the finger, I have a finger on the pulse of what MLB is doing. I thought they'd be, there'd be no way there'd be a season, especially a season starting when uh, case numbers are rising. Um, so, you know, if I were commissioner of MLB, I probably would not have started the season. But that said, at the same time, you have to consider that if you don't have a season, your players aren't going to get paid. And, you know, we, we talk about a lot, a lot about how these guys, you know, oh, they make a lot of money and it's like, oh, it's, they make so much money, they'll be fine. I mean, players still have families and they have obligations and they have salaries that they depend on. And there's a reason why folks are getting stimulus checks right now. I mean, people, when they have an unexpected loss of a job, they, it's, it's a challenge. So mm -hmm. I don't know if, you know, I don't want to just blow, brush that off and be like, well, we have to shut everything down and everything has to be shut down. I, I think though, the level of caution that needs to be taken is something that's a little higher than where MLB is right now. Um, again, like you said, Brett, too, a bubble city might not be the answer. I also don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I have nothing uh, to, to say for sure on that. But I, you know, I, my perspective as a Rays fan and as a baseball fan who, frankly, is very happy to see baseball back, um, I want to enjoy as much baseball as I possibly can because I'm, I feel like at this moment, at any minute, the season could just end. So I'm really, really trying to live in the moment, uh, you know, and not even pretend like you think that the, even if there's no playoffs, I'm just enjoying the time that we're spending here. I think that's a fair point, and I think that's where we should, we should take the show next because the Rays are playing the Atlanta Braves. It's a two-and-two two split between St. Pete and Atlanta. And now that we've all thoroughly raised our voices about COVID-19 and its impact on Major League Baseball, Let's get down and dirty. Uh, in game one on Monday night, the Rays bats that seemed a little skittish over the weekend came out in a big way, 14-5 to with a win over the Braves. Uh, Tyler Glass now made his return uh, to the mound or his first start of the season. He is one of the Rays players that did test positive for COVID-19. And, Ian, how good did Glass now look or, or early on in the game? That velo, man, that was top stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really – great to see especially in, in in this season where where the the, the spring the the summer camp has been has been so weird and and and, and for, for glass now especially he was he was not starting from the same place as, as everyone else he 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 was out with coronavirus um at the beginning of, of the camp he, he mixed he missed the start of it um starting pitchers velo is usually down at the beginning of a normal season so you expect it, it, it to be down at the beginning of, of a season of a season like this, and to see Glass now come out with all 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 of all of his velo, with his 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 breaking balls, his slider and his curve, which are almost indistinguishable, um, snapping off um, like that, like that's that's really impressive, and I think it it speaks well either to to Glass now's um, work ethic or to his like amazing athletic gifted athleticism like there's it speaks to something but there's not a lot of guys out there at the start of the season looking the way glass now is now so it's that's that's great now if we can just if we can just have the the rest of the race starters um have this yeah. also yeah you know we saw glass now in that the one um intra-squad game that was televised by the Rays uh, that went six innings. It was Glasnow versus Snell. And I thought that Glasnow's, you know, his curveball looked looked really strong. Uh, the, the control w was not there entirely. I didn't want to read too much into a, a summer camp intra-squad game. Uh, it, it, and it wasn't completely there on Monday night, but he's also not that type of pitcher. And when you're bringing 98 and then as high as 100 miles an hour, 
in the first inning against that that top third of the the Braves lineup, which is just an incredible lineup. You go, uh, you've got like Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and then Ozuna. Um, the way he worked through them, and, and he, was, he was able to strike out the side in the first, uh, looked really, really good. Uh, Brett, what are your thoughts on Glass now so far? Your expectations for him um, this season? I mean, Glass now showed again that he's the kind of pitcher for the Rays right now. If he can stay healthy, he'll be a Cy Young contender. Like I, every, I mean, seemingly every year. I mean, you never know with pitchers; some, everything changes and happens. But again, the guy's young. This is like a this is a pretty young pitcher who still could possibly he has room to grow. You know, last season, too, I remember the first game that he pitched with uh, um, for the Rays uh, at the start of the season in 2019. He was also, you know, pumping 98, 99, 100. He was always pumped uh, and, and, and started off with a bang and got people really excited before his uh, forearm strain. So I, I think I'm, I'm really excited about Glass now. Like he said, it's great that he's starting the season so uh, strong when it comes to his uh, pitch velocity um, he's starting it so strong after, you know, being diagnosed with COVID and recovering from that. I mean, it, it's very, fan- it's fantastic to see. And I, I'm, I'm, again, he's one of the reasons why I hope is as long of a season as we possibly can see from this team. Cause uh, it's be fun to watch Tyler Glasnow pitch. Yeah. And, and, and Ian, you might be able to correct me here from watching the game. The fact that Glasnow stands at, what is it? Six foot seven or six foot eight. I don't know what he's listed at. Tall guy. The baby giraffe. Yeah. That arm angle, it's coming up from so much higher than what you'd normally see from a lot of pitchers who I'm guessing the average major league pitcher is like 6'2", 6'1", 6'3", I don't know, somewhere in that range. Do you think that has an effect on hitters with the ball coming from that much higher? Yeah, I mean, higher, higher yes. Um, I, I, I'm sure, like, higher, it, 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 change, it changes the angle. It probably, it probably makes a bigger difference on his breaking ball than his fastball, I would, I, I would guess. Um, 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 this is probably getting into pitching, pitching minutia, but I would, I would like to see I, the, 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 perf, the, the perfect fastball I would like to see from a long arm from a low angle. Um, um, if you're trying to hit that top of the zone, yeah. but, but, but really the place where the long arm works is, is, is the extension that it's not just that it's coming higher. It's coming closer to, to the batter. Um, so, so um, talk talk a lot about the um, the uh, the perceived velocity. Um, it's one of those things where his he's he's throw he's throwing 98, 100, um, 98, 99, 100 miles per hour. He's he's releasing for for from a couple inches closer to to the batter than almost anyone else, and 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 that's that's something that will will make that perceived velocity play up even more. Um, um, the the uh, um, the reason I'm I'm saying that I want a long arm with 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 a low angle is 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 because so if you talk about how you're you're pitching towards the top of 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 the strike zone on the fastball, um, it's sort of about like maximizing the spin deflection. Um, um, so if you're going straight at it, then all of that upward spin will be pushing it up as opposed to pushing up and forward some. Um, um, that's not really what you're asking. And also people aren't, aren't, aren't made like this. They aren't made with long arms that extend after they start going, but, but yes, long arm looks different. I, I, I think, I think that that's what the question was. No, you, you nailed it. No, it was exactly what I was looking for in, in glass. Now really impressed four innings, gave up one hit. It was a home run to Dansby Swanson that quite frankly, I'm not sure how he got that, you know, got around on that pitch and ended up, uh, sending it into the left field stands, but Glass now faced what was it? 50, 15 batters he faced, struck out nine of them. Uh, thought the stuff played really well. Um, before we get into the offense, because uh, I want to talk a lot about the offense, put up eight runs in the fourth inning. Diego Castillo, he comes back from the paternity list, and I talked about it on the last podcast. But when I recorded on Sunday, um, Castillo was still gone. That and Daniel Robertson, the guy who originally placed him on the roster was still in St. Pete. When Castillo comes back, Robertson was, again, uh, sent back – or not back down because they're not in Durham uh, – sent over to Port Charlotte, um, and, and Castillo came back on the roster. And he looked really good, I think, on Monday night in, in his first – you know, he only worked an inning, but attacked the strike zone, um, had good stuff, and, and ultimately struck out two guys in an inning of work and uh, didn't put any on base. 
Brett, this bullpen, you know, we've, we've talked about it all offseason. Even after the trade of Emilio Pagan, yeah. how good this race bullpen can be and how if Castillo and Alvarado are fully healthy and have bounce back seasons, I mean, that's like two new additions to the bullpen. Yeah. What are you expecting out of Castillo this year? How promising was it to see him back on the mound uh, this week? I, I think the race bullpen has like the highest peak, the highest like potential of any bullpen in baseball. I mean, that's saying a lot that there's, you know, again, the Yankees have a pretty good bullpen and everything, but I mean, when the Rays, the, the fact that the Rays have consistently been able to churn out, produce and churn out bullpen arms and, and identify them too, for instance, in the case of Nick Anderson, the fact they've been able to do that is, is great. And it's been keeping this team uh, in contention for the past couple of years. I love to see Diego Castillo pounding the zone, not walking anyone. You know, it, it's tricky. Him and Alvarado occasionally can be a couple of guys who the wheels can fall off real quickly, uh, a lot faster than you were expecting. And all of a sudden there's like, you know, one out and the bases are loaded and like six <laughs> pitches have been thrown or something. It's just the way of the world sometimes. Um, I would love to see a little more consistency from guys like Castillo. Again, very, very happy that he was also able to come back from a long break in the same vein as uh, Tyler Glass now, pound the zone, uh, pitch strikes, and go after hitters. So, I'm, I mean, again, I'm, I'm encouraged, and the bullpen will need to continue to be a strength if the Rays are going to uh, go for the division. Yeah, Castillo – oh, go ahead, Ian. Sorry, and, and uh, I, would, I would like to, to argue on, on one thing for a second because – and really I'm channeling JT who isn't here, but if, <laughs> if he heard this, he, he would argue something, um, which is that the um, – the, so Castillo and Alvarado get, get lumped together a lot because they, they, um, they, they both throw high 90 sinkers. They came up at about the same time. Um, they're, they're, um, they have a similar pitching, pitching profile. Um, they are both, they both have been a little wild, really Castillo was a little wild at the start of the 2019 season. Um, and I think that that lodged in, in our memories, um, sort of, (laughs) sort of from that start, Castillo has been very consistent, has, has been one of the more dependable, um, um, raise arms out there. So, so, so at, at this point, I would say that I feel very confident in Castillo, particularly his, his, his consistency, even he, he's put up the two third last two thirds of 2019 were sterling. Um, um, his, his stuff has, has always been there. Um, Alvarado for all sorts of reasons lost it, but I, I think, I think it, it may be time to stop lumping them together. I, I have a lot of risk on, on Alvarado I'm very confident in, 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 in Castillo going, going forward at this point. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, they do get lumped together a lot, and uh, they're, they're not the same pitcher. Um, but, yeah, I think it's part of the fact that they came up at the same time. And before the emergence of Emilio Bagan, who's since been traded, and guys like Nick Anderson, who was brought in last trade deadline, they were expected to lead the line, and I think they still can lead that line in the Rays' bullpen despite all, all the other additions. Brett, did you have another thing to add? No, I was just going to ask Ian if he had a choice between, like, uh, could, uh, Castillo and Alvarado in, like, the ninth inning role, would, if he would take Castillo over Alvarado. Because the Rays I, seemingly have been sticking with Alvarado, especially in those late inning spots. Although recently, again, it's been more of a closer by committee thing. I was just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would take Castillo over – Alvarado in 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 in, in any any inning at this point. I think <laughs> I think that um, Alvarado has a very high peak, and I've liked some of what I've seen from him this season. But 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 he definitely like he 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 got to to a point last year where where um, every time that he, he he was in a position where he really needed to make a good pitch he spiked the ball into, the, into the ground. Um, it's like, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. there, there there's stuff going on, going on, going on with his family, um, um, uh, safety issues. He had, he had, he had a lot on his mind. It, it, it's understandable. Um, I get it. His family, his family is with him in, in, in the U S now, hopefully, hopefully that puts, puts him, puts him at ease. He can really, he can really settle in and being the best pitcher he can be. And he, and he can be a great pitcher, but, but he's, um, um, I want to believe that narrative, but but sort of the, there's there's a 
there's a more stark thing is that he he lost command. He he was he was not a good pitcher last year, and, and guys don't always don't always get it back. It's very hard to be a shutdown ma- major league pitcher. I also think think that the Rays have a lot of um, I think that Kevin Cash and the Rays front office have a lot of confidence in Castillo. Um, he's towards towards the end of last year. He was he was used as 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 an opener some. Um, but he was also used used as a guy that 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 you could you could count on for hard innings against the best righties on the opposite team, um, mm-hmm. either one inning one inning at, at a time a couple of days in a row or two innings and then they would give him the off day. Um, it's like I don't think that his lack of use at the back end um, has so much to do with um, with not having that trust in him, but but. But more to do that, there's a situation where he's so good, which is when there's a string of tough righties up, you want to use him there because because like no one can shut down Altuve. Um, and, and, and I was thinking about it a lot during the Astros series. There's so the Astros have a string; they're a very right-handed batting order. There were there's there's a set of people where you wanted Alvarado facing their best hitter, their best hitters, and and that that was that was what what Cash did. And then also in a situation where you can go two innings. Um, Alvarado is a guy that can pitch pitch two innings, and, and, and not everyone can. So I think that plays into how he gets used. But in terms of who do I trust with the game on the line, I, 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 I said Alvarado. I, tr- I trust Castillo um, uh, more than almost anyone else in this bullpen right now. Okay. Yeah, big, big bill of confidence there for Diego Castillo. And Ian, real quick, I, w- I really want to get into this, in this lineup because uh, 14 runs and then another five runs on Tuesday night. Let's talk about Jalen Beeks. Uh, a guy that if you look at the box score from Monday's game, he went three innings, gave up four runs, only three of them were earned. And you're thinking, eh, not a great outing from Jalen Beeks. But he struck out seven batters. Uh, I, th- I think th- when he gave up three runs in, I don't remember which inning it was, it was the sixth. Um, the first two guys got on base from a drop third strike. And then I believe it was an error on a, on a, a ball hit towards Willie Adamas. Jalen Beeks, he's faced uh, – I wrote it down. He's faced 21 batters this season, struck out 12 of them so far. What have you seen out of Jalen Beeks? And do you trust him to consistently be able to do that multi-inning role out of the bullpen uh, for the Rays? I, Jalen Beeks is – he's a pitcher I'm totally fascinated with. Um, um, it's so far, obviously, the results are great. Uh, I just know they were good at the, at the beginning of last year too, and then and then he sort of tailed off as as, as the season the season went on. Um, the weird thing about about Jalen Beeks is that he he has a uh, he has a kind of averageish fastball, um, and then he has um, he has this changeup, um, and it's a changeup. It doesn't have a ton of drop to it. It has, it has, it has a bit of run to it. Um, but run isn't normally the thing that you think of as being that effective for, for a, for, for a change up. Um, um, and it doesn't, it doesn't drop in velocity that much off of his fastball. Like, like there's just not that much separation. Um, um, but then like before, before the Rays acquired him, he, um, he, he had really good results on his change up. Uh, and, and in 2018, at the end of 2018, he had re- really good results. And the race sort of going into 2019 did an obvious move. If you're looking at results, at results, which is if you have a pitch getting great results, throw it more. Um, mm-hmm. And and he did that in 2019, and it kind of didn't work. Um, um, and, and I think it it plays into um, sort of this question of scouting versus 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 numbers results. So so so. With, with Jalen Meeks, you look at him and you don't say this guy has a great changeup, but it was it was getting good results, so they went with that. And the sort of scouting won out. It's sort of a simplistic way of, of saying it. <laughs> um, the interesting with, thing with him this year is that he's still throwing his changeup um, a lot. He's still leaning on it. They haven't changed that, um, and he, he's whiffing people like crazy. That it's getting great results again. What they have changed is they've stopped throwing a curveball, um, and and instead of a curveball, he's throwing, he's throwing a sort of like cutter slider, not great of either, but but it's a different mix. It 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 plays off of the changeup and the fastball different in some way, um, and 
I mean, so, so far it's, 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 it's going great. I, I wanted him to go back to throwing his cutter, um, which is not exactly what he's doing. I think he's throwing a slider. It's a little bit slower than his old cutter used, used to be. Um, but most of the time the Rays are smarter than I am and they're trying a new thing and, and it's working, it's working so far. I, I won't say, I won't say that I'm confident it'll stay at this rate. There's no reason to think Jalen Beeks is one of the most, one of the best strikeout pitchers in all of baseball, but that's what he's doing right now. So, so, so I'll, I'll ride it. I'll watch. I'll, I'll see, I'll, I'll see what happens. Yeah, and the ability for him to go multiple innings out of the bullpen, uh, especially with, you know, all the, the strange stuff that we're going to go through this season and they haven't built any of the pitchers all the way back up yet. Uh, I think that's really important for this pitching staff. Touching on a couple guys in this lineup, uh, obviously the Rays exploded for, for eight runs in the fourth inning of this game. A couple of guys I want to talk about, Hunter Renfro. Uh, the Rays bring him in uh, in a trade with the San Diego Padres. Um, they sent Tommy Pham out, which I think made – a lot of fans and a lot of us over at uh, D Rays Bay question the decision a little bit to move on from Tommy Pham. And Hunter Renfro is a guy I'd wanted the Rays to get for a long time. I didn't think it was going to cost them Tommy Pham and there were other pieces involved in that deal. Um, but Renfro's with the Rays. And from what I saw out of him while he was in San Diego and then early on this season, and especially in this game, you look at a guy like Avisail Garcia last year for the Rays, who had just a lot of pure power. He wasn't the best hitter on the team or the best hitter in the outfield, but he had a lot of pure power. And then you take Hunter Renfro, who I think has got a similar amount of power. And I haven't broken down the numbers exactly, but then you've also got Hunter Renfro, who is a plus glove in right field or left field. I, I think, and I, and I said this with Jim on the podcast, you look at the race outfield as a whole, and they lost some really talented players in the outfield last year. They lost Pham and they lose Avi. But they bring in Hunter Renfro. They bring in Randy Rosarena, who we haven't seen yet. They bring in Manuel Margot. They bring in Yoshi Tsutsuga, who also had a good game on Monday and, and has had a good start to, to his race career, I think. Um, but Hunter Renfro, th what a huge addition to this team. The fact that you get a guy that's got the ability. Uh, what was the – I had the numbers. I can't believe I didn't write them down on his home run for Monday night, his first one. It was like a 110 exit velo, and it went like 420 or 430 feet um, to the deepest part of the ballpark. This man can absolutely rake. And the fact that you have an upgrade on his defense in right field over Garcia is a, is a huge uh, win for the Rays, uh, no matter how well Pham does in San Diego. Although if he does kill it, yeah. I am going to be a little bit upset. The other guy we're <laughs> talking about, Yoshi Tsutsugo. Uh, this guy, and JT actually mentioned on the, the hit show episode that he did with Danny, covering the intra-squad game, JT premised that he was going to be hitting leadoff for the Rays against right-handed pitching. Haven't seen that yet. It's been G-Man Troy and Yandy Diaz kind of going back and forth, and Troy's hurt for a little bit right now. But I love Yoshi's ability to work the count. Uh, he's got really great plate discipline, um, finding ways to get on base, and even hitting in deep counts too. Uh, Yoshi's showed a pretty good job of that so far this season. Brett, you look at a guy like Yochi, they've played at third, they've played at left, they've DH'd him. Is, this was my favorite acquisition from the offseason. Brett, what do, you, what do you think about Yoshi so far, and how excited are you to see him continue with the Rays? I like him. I, I'm excited to see him. I, You know, always a bit of an adjustment period when uh, players from Japan and Korea come over uh, and, and get uh, some hacks in the MLB system. But I think he's done really well. I think the fact that he hit a home run in one of his – his first appearance, one of his first appearances uh, with the Rays is, is one of the coolest things and, and something that I think we'll remember for a little bit with, with Yoshi. Um, I like, you know, the, the one thing I wish is that we were able to use his song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he famous, that was his he choice. Said that, he, that was his choice, yeah. It, it's not like a licensing issue or anything, but he chose to, uh, he said he wanted to move on from um, his time uh, in Japan and I can't blame him for it. Um, his decision, but boy, it would be cool to hear that song. Even if, even with no fans in the stadium, it would be uh, nice to hear that echo. I'm looking forward to him. I, I, I want to see more. Um, I, I want to see how he deals with struggles because there'll certainly be struggles later down the road. Um, but he's definitely had a really good start to the season, and uh, he's quickly becoming like someone that you know makes you really want to follow. 
Yeah, for sure. Brand, Brandon Lau, another name that needs to be mentioned in, in the way he started. He went two for three in this game with a double and a triple. Um, he's really finding that right center field gap early on in this season. I don't think he's mm-hmm. popped a home run yet, um, but you know that'll come with, with Brandon Lau and, and how good of a hitter he can be. And I know Jim will uh, kind of push back on this. He thinks the plate is <laughs> there. I think the power makes up for it. Uh, I, I think he's a good enough hitter and a good enough second baseman to be a, a major leaguer for, for a long time and, and really like what, uh, what the Rays have seen out of Brandon Lau so far in his career. Tuesday night, another game in the drop. The Rays win this one 5-2. to two. Uh, Yanni Chirinos gets the start here. Uh, you see a number of pitchers out of the bullpen, and, and I think a really good win for the Rays. They scored all five of their runs in the third inning. Um, but we're able to pitch really, really well, which I think is what we expect out of the Rays. Only one uh, run given up by the bullpen in the last six innings, and that was by Ryan Thompson, another guy who's going more than just an inning every time he takes the mound. He threw two on opening day. He throws an inning in two-thirds here uh, from the 28-year-old rookie. And uh, another good game. Yoshi goes two for four. Um, Jose Martinez goes two for four. I think it's also – we got to talk about Jose Martinez. The Rays brought him over in that deal that also brought the Rays Randy Rosarena, where they gave up left-handed pitching prospect Matthew Libertor, which was probably the most unraised thing that happened to this offseason, yeah. the fact that they moved on from a pitching prospect, especially one as talented as Libertor, a first-round pick just a couple of years ago. Jose Martinez, another guy like Yoshi, that I think early on this season has put an emphasis on working the count, um, you know, taking pitches and, and still being able to hit successfully. Uh, he went two for four, drove in a run in this game. Uh, he, he had four runs batted in at, at, after this after this one. Uh, Ian, do you like Jose Martinez? I, I, was, I was very skeptical because I like the way he hits against left-handed pitching, but he can't field a lick. He really can't even shoehorn him in at first base. He's going to DH, and he's going to hit a lot against left-handed pitching. Um, but, but what are your thoughts on Martinez? Were you as skeptical as I was when the Rays brought him over? I, I I don't think I was I was skeptical. I think I think because Jose Martinez is is a totally known quantity. I think um, mm-hmm. um, so. Like if there was a thing to not like about the trade, it was it was about the like the value of it. Um, um, giving up a prospect with a lot of control for for um, Jose Martinez and then some other prospects. I think that the a Rosarena is where a lot of the value in that trade is. And, and the purpose of Martinez is to be a guy who's going to come in here as a right-handed hitter and, and hit. Um, they're, they're replacing Pham with Martinez's bat. Um, they're replacing Pham's fielding with, with Margot. Um, um, it's like b- between Margot and, and, and Martinez, like you have – you have a good outfielder and you have a, um, you have a really good right-handed hitter against lefties. And, and I think if you, if you, if you think of Martinez as the type of, the type of sort of like throw in add on onto that deal that a team that wants to win now wants um, and keep your expectations to that, that's great because he's, he's a guy who can help a team win now if he's given a very, specific role and, and the Rays are, are, are in a position to give him that specific role. Um, it, it, it also play, plays into before, before, um, before the pandemic and, every, and everything went crazy um, and all the rules changed, we were, we were still expanding the rosters anyway. Um, we, were, we were going to have 26-man rosters rather than 25-man rosters. And I think that that's some of what the Rays did to, um, to, to sort of take advantage of the rule change was we can carry more bats without positions. We can platoon big bats. And, and, and Jose Martinez is a perfect player for that. Yeah, for sure. We're going to wrap up talking about this series against the Braves and then take a look ahead. Uh, the Rays are headed to Baltimore to play the Orioles, but we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And we're back. We've got one more game to talk about against this ser- with the series with the Braves. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday before the series finale in Atlanta. Uh, so I'm sorry for that, but this will be out on Friday morning and you get your second episode of Raise Your Voice in one week uh, before and you can use this as a preview to get yourself into the Baltimore Orioles series. But let's talk about uh, the game on Wednesday. The Rays lose this one 7-4. to four. 
this was probably the first, I mean, opening day was frustrating in some ways, but I was kind of nervous going into that game anyways with Ryu on the mound for the Blue Jays. This one was a bit frustrating. So you get a much better outing out of Charlie Morton, a really good outing out of Charlie Morton compared to uh, what happened on opening day. He goes five innings, gives up just two runs, strikes out seven, walks only one. Then the bullpen, um, more than they have at this point, uh, really struggled in this one. So you get Andrew Kittredge makes an appearance. Oliver Drake, who, again, I think pitched pretty well, um, gave up a run and gave up a couple hits, but they were pretty weak hits. Uh, Jose Alvarado struggles a little bit in this one. You also get Aaron Loop as well. But uh, the team looked tired. And I think one of the reasons for that is they didn't even leave for Atlanta until uh, Wednesday morning. You know, to play Wednesday night. And I think similar thing happened with the Braves because they played on Sunday night baseball on Sunday. And we saw how they looked on Monday mm-hmm. at the trop. Something happened like that. I think here with the Rays, the fact that they didn't travel until Wednesday. Uh, I think Brett, the, the word for this game was just sluggish. And uh, once the Braves started to claw back into it, because the Rays had a lead in the sixth, uh, you, I think we all knew where this one was going to go. Yeah, it's one of those games, at least where I, when I was listening to it, I kind of had a sense of impending doom. It's a little <laughs> dramatic, I guess, but that's kind of how it felt. Um, just just some things to note, I think, with this game. I think you're right. Uh, sluggish, sloppy, generally uh, would be how I would describe this game. Um, really on both sides, both the Rays and the, and the Braves ended up with a couple errors. And the Rays, of course, had a couple of plays that were uh, not errors, but were certainly sloppy and contributed to... Um, contributed to the loss one thing I did think that was interesting was in the top of the sixth um, when the Rays were uh, down two to one uh, they had been down in every game against the Rays like clawed their way back eventually uh, at the top of the sixth they scored three runs and when the um, uh, when they started the uh, inning they had Andrew Kittredge in the bullpen and the thought too I imagine at the beginning of the inning when they were down was to bring him in after in bring him in afterwards but then they scored three runs and then uh, were up four to two and they kept Kittredge in and didn't add anyone in the bullpen. So I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing that they were planning on basically riding or dying with Kittredge in that moment um, in, in that, uh, in that game scenario. Uh, and then that turned out to be, you know, it is what it is not necessarily Kittredge or Oliver Drake's fault. It was just a bunch of stuff that happened, but uh, yeah, just another casualty maybe of the fact that the schedule has had to be so condensed and that we haven't been able to have morning getaway days. Although, again, the Rays have never seemingly performed very well on uh, days right after um, uh, flying into a new – on the first games of series, it seems like historically they tend to perform a little bit poorly, generally speaking, on that way. But, yeah, just another reason why uh, – any more games being canceled would be a serious problem for MLB at this point. Yeah. I don't know if you ever want to ride or die with Andrew Kittredge. I like, <laughs> I like all but the race no, pitchers, but sure. But I, there, there's some you prefer. Yeah. I mean, and just to say it, uh, the, this was definitely an example where the three batter rule had an, an, an effect. Um, um, I think, I think um, they, Rode and died with Kittredge for three batters, and then they brought Drake immediately. Um, so I, I, I think I think it was probably a a one batter effect, which is which is not which is not um, that big a one batter effect that was a um, a ground out. But 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 still, it, it, it was the first time I've seen it in a game where it was definitely a situation. Cash I think would have would have would have taken a guy out, but wasn't allowed to. Yeah, you're, you're, you're probably right on that one. And Oliver Drake came in, and uh, I, I really like what I've seen out of Drake. And he's got two saves already on this season. I don't pay too much attention uh, to the saves column, but he's looked really good in, in, in all of his outings. And I thought it was a little unlucky. Not a little unlucky, a lot unlucky in this outing against the Braves. Uh, and Alvarado struggled. His pitch count got up in a hurry. He ended up recording two outs, but he threw uh, 32 pitches to get those outs. Uh, Aaron Loop comes in, uh, a left-handed addition to the Rays' bullpen, a guy that was probably wondering what the job market was going to look like for him uh, with the three-batter minimum rule in place. We saw him in Toronto be that you know, left-handed specialist or that loogie for, for a long time. Uh, and, but now he's with the Rays, and he pitched an inning a third, didn't get up anything. So 
Don't know how often the Rays are going to use him. They used him in a pretty low set leverage situation. The lead was already gone. And I'm not saying the Rays were punting on this game, but it, it just looked bleak for them to get, be able to get back into this one. Uh, Brandon Lau gets bumped up to the leadoff spot here after a really hot start to the season. And what do you know? Goes Sorry, Jim. five. Yeah, no, Jim's going to like this part. Not like it. I'm not saying that Jim's <laughs> rooting for him to fail. Um, maybe I am. Uh, Brandon Lau goes over five, strikes out three times. Um, but still, I think a really good start to the season for Brandon Lau. The the uh, other thing Jim, I, I need just, to mention. Just, just, sorry, sorry. I just, oh, I just have ahead. to speak for Jim for one second. Um, Brandon Lau is whiffing on 50% of the, of the sliders he swings at. Um, teams are throwing him more sliders than any other pitch so far. Some of this is from he was facing slider-heavy pitchers. Um, some of it, I think. Teams don't believe he can hit a slider right-handed or left-handed. So, so, so a, thing, a thing I'm keeping my mind, my, my eye on is how many sliders are the opponents throwing him? What's he doing with them? Um, we'll yeah. See if it gets better. He's going to strike out. He's going to swing and miss a lot. Uh, like I said, I, I, I think the power he's got, especially at the second base position um, for, for that spot in the lineup makes up for a lot of, not all of that, definitely, uh, but definitely a good chunk of that. And, definitely a player to, to, to keep an eye on and uh, don't know how many more times he's going to get the chance to hit in the leadoff spot. This might've been cause Troy is dealing with a bit of an injury. Not sure whether or not he's probably not going to go on the IL. It doesn't appear that way. Um, G-Man Troy is doing everything he can to make sure that Nate Lowe does not see time or any other player sees time at first base. Now G-Man Troy switch hitting, uh, you know, he's not going on the IL. He's going to play through injury. Um, all that stuff. Got to love it from, from G-Man Troy. Before we move on to this Orioles series, I didn't mention it. Uh, going back to the uh, Monday's game, the Rays obviously scored 14 runs, hit I think five or six home runs, struck out 19 batters. The pitching staff did as a whole, a franchise record for the Rays. That started with Glass now, but we talked about obviously Jalen Beek struck out seven, um, Castillo struck out two in his inning, and then Alvarado got one in the ninth. Uh, really impressive stuff from the Rays pitching staff as a whole. And this is the type of stuff you see when you go glass now, Castillo, and then Beeks with the high strikeout stuff and Jose Alvarado. The step ahead that the Rays have over so many other bullpens, not only in the American League, but in baseball as a whole, uh, 19 strikeouts, really, really impressive stuff. And, you know, it was, they, the Braves scored five, but, it, you know, complete domination um, for the most part, uh, except for that one rough inning in the sixth. Uh, for the Rays pitching staff. So the Rays all have a two to one series lead. If you kind of combine these two, uh, you know, home and away splits with, with the Braves, they're wrapping that one up at the time of recording. We're about an hour away from first pitch, but we are going to get into the upcoming series against the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the Rays have not announced pitchers yet, but it should be Blake Snell on Friday, Tyler Glass now on Monday and then uh, Yanni Chirinos again on Sunday after Ryan Yarbrough goes tonight. Uh, that hasn't been announced yet. And uh, with the Rays and with the way this season has gone, there's a chance that a lot of that changes. But we're going to get into Alex Cobb, who the Rays will be facing on Friday. I believe that was announced today. But, but Blake Snell, let's talk about him. Obviously, he, he uh, made his first appearance of the season on Sunday for the Rays. Now he's going to come back out. What do we want to see from Blake Snell? He only went two innings, but he struck out five. The strikeout stuff was there. Ian, what are you looking for from Blake Snell in start number two this season? Stay healthy. Just, just stay <laughs> healthy. That's, that's it. I, I don't care anything else. It's, it's still spring, spring training for him. Uh, as you said, this is a bizarre offseason. Um, the motto throughout, throughout spring training is, is stay healthy. It's the same, except the games count a little bit. Um, a little but, bit. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, there's, there's, there's 16 teams in the playoffs this year. Um, so really the games only count a little bit. Like we have, we have, I want to, to get to that playoffs with a Blake Snell that can go seven, seven, seven strong, strong innings. Um, and I believe that, that, that the Rays will keep slowly ramping him up. And that's, and that's, uh, and I believe that even if he pitches badly right now, the, the Rays will be one of those 16 teams. So, well, so that's, that's all I'm looking for. Wait Ian, a are, second, you saying that we, are you saying that we should keep Blake Snell out of bathrooms that have shelves? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no columns, um, no flowers on columns. Um, um, don't anybody, don't any fan send him flowers. 
Um, <laughs> it's interesting. I give Blake Snell credit because I don't know how many uh, 20-something-year-old gentlemen are decorating their bathrooms uh, at that age. So good, good on Blake Snell for having a nice-looking bathroom. But Ian, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, are you also saying that each game is not worth 2.7 games? I, I am more or less saying that each game is not worth, worth, worth 2.7 games. Um, I mean, it's actually an interesting calculation. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I should figure out how much to, to devalue a game based on the 16-team playoff. There, there's a number that we can, we can say, and I'll, I'll try and figure that out. Yeah, please do. Please do. Uh, because I, I've, I've been starting my own drinking game, or I've been telling people to. Anytime your, your regional broadcaster tries to put into perspective how short the season is, drink. Uh, it's happened a lot. <laughs> um, let's go into Alex Cobb. He's had a bumpy road since he left the Rays, and obviously his career with the Rays wasn't perfect either. He dealt with some injuries, but was overall a really good pitcher and went out and got paid after, after leaving the Rays. Ian, talk to me a little bit about Cobb's 2019 season, uh, which might be able to turn around a little bit this year in 2020. Yeah, so so, so Alex Cobb, um, um, the the big the big thing thing for me with Cobb was that he, so after his his Tommy John with the Rays, his best pitch, um, his best pitch that that splitter uh, bottom fell out, it it, it, just, it stopped working. Arm wasn't the same, hand wasn't the same, whatever. Um, the, the splitter wasn't dropping anymore, and 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 you take the best pitch off of off of any pitcher, he's going to have a really hard time. Um, so like in in that in that 2017, 2017 season, um, right after um, when he was he was he was coming back with the Rays, I feel like every game was looking to see was the splitter there, was the splitter not there, is it getting better, is it not? 2019. Um, uh, 2018 with the Orioles, it wasn't there still. Um, it was uh, let me let me pull it up. It was a little bit better. So so 2017 with, with the Rays, splitter ha- splitter rose 6.5 inches compared to the spin deflection. Um, you you want you a good splitter you want rising less. Uh, so so a fastball rises between nine and ten inches somewhere around there. A good splitter you want rising less than that. Cobbs, when it was good, rose only two inches. That, that, that looks on the TV like it's falling off. 2017, it didn't fall. 2018 with the Orioles, it was a little bit better. Uh, it, was, it, was to, it only rose 4.25 inches. These are Brooks baseball numbers I'm quoting, um, which is better. It's still not what it was when Cobb was good. Um, 2019, he missed most of the season with a core, a core injury. Um, he only pitched... Um, uh, 12, 12 innings, 12 and a third innings. The good thing though, is his, his, his splitter, it was back in those 12 and a third innings. It was, it was rising only two inches. It was, the bottom was falling out the way the old Cobb was. Um, um, his curve, which never really left him. It was still good. His fastball was the same as usual. That was all normal, but the, the splitter splitter was back one game through, through, through this season in the 2020 season, and, and it's still back. It's the same. Um, his pitch mix movement looks like old Rays style Cobb. Um, so the Rays are, are going to, to run into him, and they might run in, into good Cobb, um, which personally will make me very happy because Cobb has always been, been, been one, of my, my, one of my favorite pitchers. If, if Cobb totally, Alex Cobb shuts down the Rays, and and he's mixing his pitches and his splitter is is falling out of the bottom and people are chasing it. I'll be totally happy with that. I, I'll 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 take I'll take that loss and like it. Yeah, Alex Cobb been a big fan. I met him at a Top Golf once uh, while he was still with the race. I think he was just happy that someone recognized him. I don't know how <laughs> how much of that happened while he was with the Rays. But yeah, five and a third innings against the Red Sox and his first start of the season looked really good. Struck out six, didn't walk anyone and. Uh, Blake Snell versus Alex Cobb, a pitching matchup that I will be looking forward to uh, more than most. Uh, Brett, any final thoughts on this Orioles series going into it? How many? You looking for a sweep? You looking for two out of three? What you got? Anything can happen, man. Each game, you know, each game's a sweep. Take a drink. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully the Rays can sweep the Orioles three times this weekend. Uh, 
that is going to do it uh, this week or not this week because I already had another episode uh, come out. We'll have a new one out on Monday for Raise Your Voice, but a midweek episode. Uh, big thank you to Ian and Brett for hopping on. Uh, make sure if you haven't already. And like I said, if you're subscribed to this podcast feed, you're not only getting Raise Your Voice, you're getting the hit show. So go check out all the great work uh, that Danny Darby and Brett are doing over there as we um, inch ever so closely to the uh, end of the most beloved Rays player bracket which I have to say, I think there's a chance that G-Man Choi wins the whole thing. Was not expecting that at the start, uh, but he's carrying a lot of weight, and especially the way he started this season, um, he, he has become I get, I, you know, up there with the right-handed home run. Pulling that out of nowhere makes him maybe uh, a higher seed in the full hero bracket than he would have been. Um, but with that being said, just go check out the hit show. They do great work. We're getting, we're getting so close to the end there. Uh, and also go – Make sure to check out all the great work over at DRaysBay.com. Now that the season started, there's been a lot of great content. That's not going to slow down, uh, unless of course the season does. Uh, but we're not going to we're not going to hope for that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you subscribe to this podcast, you get episodes of the of Raise Your Voice and the Hit Show downloaded directly to your device. If your platform allows it, rating and reviewing this feed is the best way to continue spreading what we do to more and more Rays fans. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you next time.